Praise the Lord, everybody, and welcome back to our series on the book of Revelation. Now, let me uh, repeat a few things uh, that I told you in the last session. The absolute volume of material, the weight of the subjects, and the directions that we could go with this uh, study in the book of Revelation is a, a very daunting task, and it, it would take us a very very long time to get into it and so what I believe the Holy Spirit has led me to do and what we're going to endeavor to do as we study uh, through the book of Revelation and let me say this we are reading the book of Revelation together praise God the, the Bible promises blessings I, I shared that with you last week um, to those who read and hear and keep the words of this prophecy. And so we're reading the book of Revelation together. And I encourage all of you, each and every one of you, uh, to look up material on your own from reputable teachers. And, and you're going to run into various differences of opinion. You're going to run into uh, uh, a lot of possibilities of things. Uh, for the last days, and that's fine. That's good, actually, because it causes us to think. Um, but it's imperative for you to get the most out of the book of Revelation, that you study it on your own. And there are several uh, wonderful resources. Uh, Perry Stone has some, John Hagee, Jack Van Empey, and many, many others that you can study from uh, as it regards this book of Revelation. Because what I'm going to try to do, and today I'm going to try to go through uh, chapters 2 and 3. And today what I'm going to try to do is just hit the high points and then throughout the study there will be different Greek words that I'll share the meaning of those words with you. Um, <clears throat> also, like I told you last time, uh, we have a lot of single messages on various different topics uh, that pertain to end time events. We, we just aired one not too long ago uh, called The End from the Beginning. We have one called The Rise of the Islamic Beast. We have another called The Rise and Fall of the Seventh Empire. We have one on the Rapture. And there'll be many more of those that will be individual uh, lessons or sermons or teachings that will shed deeper light on a particular subject. What we're doing for here is we're basically reading the book together and outlining the book for you, giving you some word studies also as we go along. So today I want to start with uh, Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to try our best to get through the second and the third chapter. Uh, these are the things which are Remember the divisions of the book that we gave you at the end of the first chapter, and it was immediately following the vision of Christ in the midst of the seven churches that these messages are given to the churches. This is the beginning of the second part of the book of Revelation and has to do with the things which are. Uh, this part includes chapters 2 and 3 con containing things concerning the churches until the rapture of the church takes place. So this is in, included in this is the time you and I are living right now. Now I know it's, it's written to the church of Ephesus, uh, to the church of Smyrna, to the church of Pergamos, and so on and so forth. And many people have tried to say over the years that each one of these churches represents a dispensational age. And that's partly correct. That would place us in the Philadelphian and the Laodicean time frame. That's partly correct, but it's not totally correct. Each one of these messages, the message to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Smyrna, to the church at Pergamos, to the church at Thyatira, and so on and so forth, Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, every one of those messages pertains to every Christian of all ages. Some of the problems that were in the church of Ephesus and Thyatira and Sardis are in the church that we live in today. It applies to all of us. That's the greater truth contained in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. Every problem that Jesus addresses, 
those problems exist in our world today. So I don't totally buy into that dispensational, um, you know, each church representing a different dispensation of church history. I don't really buy into that totally. There are some interesting things you can study along those lines, and you can certainly see where there's small correlations in there. But the greater truth is that all of this, all of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3, are for all of us. Praise God. And so with that in mind, let's begin our study today uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And we'll read the first seven verses, the church at Ephesus. <clears throat> Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now that simply is talking about Christians and the churches. The seven stars, the seven candlesticks. Golden candlesticks. The stars in the hand of Jesus. So these are not literal stars. The, these are symbols for the leadership and symbols for the church and symbols for the body of Christ. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand and walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks. I know thy works. Okay? Now just stop right there and realize that God knows everything about every one of us. I know thy labor. I know thy patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil. You have tried them which say they are apostles and are not. There's a lot of that going on in the modern church world today. As far as people saying they're apostles and they're prophets and they're this and they're that, but really they're not. The sad thing is there's not too much of the discernment going on in the body of Christ like there needs to be. Amen. We need to know if somebody is representing Christ properly uh, in this generation. You have found them liars. Hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake you have labored, and you have not fainted. Now see, those are good things. Nevertheless, in spite of these good things, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Now listen to this. Basically what the Lord Jesus is saying in that verse of Scripture is to put Jesus first. Remember your first love. And when he says that, you know, he's got all these good things that he said about Ephesus, right? All the good things he said about that church there. But he said, nevertheless, I've got this against you. And he said to them, listen now, this shows us how serious God considers backsliding. He said, I will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. So we as Christians need to stay on fire for God. We need to be on fire for the gospel. We need to be soul winners. We need to be doing those things that the first love produced in our heart. I remember years ago when I was preaching at New Life Assembly of God in Kalkaska, Michigan. I did a seven-part series on return to your first love. Maybe we'll do part of that again in the future and elaborate more on this. But listen, if you're not red hot for God, He's calling you to repent. If you're not sharing your faith with others, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not spending time in prayer, if you're not attending the house of God, if you're not walking in fellowship, Jesus is calling you to repent. Hallelujah. And then the scripture says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And now a little bit of background on Ephesus. It was located a few miles inland. Uh, from the Aegean Sea. It was on the Caister River. 
and long, long, long time ago, silt has just absolutely filled that harbor that once sat there. Uh, the city of Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis, or Diana to the Romans. <clears throat> it was considered by many to be the most amazing of the seven wonders of the world. The worship of Artemis, now this was the culture that the Ephesian Christians were living in. The worship of Artemis included shameless and vile practices, such as prostitution and mutilation in the rituals. The temple and the city were destroyed in 252 A.D. And the key that we read from these verses, Thou hast left thy first love. Christ goes on to say they are to remember from whence they have fallen and repent and do the first works or he would come and remove the candlestick out of his place. And one reason why so many pastors today have lost influence in their communities and in the world of Christianity is because they have not preached against sin. They have taken a soft approach to sin. Maybe they're afraid to offend people because they don't want the people to stop coming and stop giving. But they must repent. Just as believers must repent of backsliding, so too must leadership repent of backsliding and regain the influence of the Holy Spirit in their communities. I think that's a powerful lesson that we can glean, a little nugget from the church at Ephesus. They had left their first love. Many Christians have left their first love. How sad and how tragic that is. This was the situation when Jesus said he had somewhat against them. Jesus must come first. Jesus must come before your job. Jesus must come before any other relationship. Jesus must come first and foremost as the king sitting on the throne of our hearts as believers. And when we grab a hold of that again, the other stuff will fall into proper place and perspective. Jesus must come first. Hallelujah. And contained in the, the section to the church at Ephesus, there is a marvelous promise to those who overcome. Those who overcome their backsliding. Those who overcome their compromise. Those who overcome that weakness. There is a marvelous promise. They will be given to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Praise God. This also reveals that the saints will eat. You and I will eat when we are in a glorified state. Revelation 2.17, 19.9. Matthew 26, 29, Luke 24, 29, and 30, and 41 through 43, and also John 21, verses 5 through 14. We will eat in heaven. Praise God. So basically, going through Ephesus really, really quickly, we can glean from it how God feels about backsliding. God loves the backslider. But he's definitely calling us to repent of those areas in our life that have backslidden from him in Jesus' name. So let's move on to the church at Smyrna, Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Again, these are just really brief little synopsises. I encourage you to pick up material and study this much more in depth. We are reading the book of Revelation together. We are outlining it for you, and we are giving you nuggets. Amen? And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. 
I know thy works. There it is again. Jesus knows everything about every one of us. I know thy tribulation and thy poverty, but thou art rich. And I want to say this right now. You might not have a lot in the way of money and this world's goods, but if you have Jesus in your heart, hallelujah, you are rich. You are wealthy. You are living large if you're living for Jesus Christ. Glory be to his name forever. And then the scripture says, And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. I want to say something right there, where it says, The devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. I think it brings out the point to us. That God does not waste our pain in life. Nothing we go through is beyond His watchful eye. Nothing we go through escapes His providence and His sovereignty. He is ultimate ruler. He doesn't waste the tests, the trials, the persecutions, and the pains that you and I must endure at times in this life. And then the scripture says, Be thou faithful unto death. You remember when Job was tested? <clears throat> when Job was tested, and God said, Have you considered my servant Job, and how he loves me, and how he serves me? And the devil said, But if you take away his family, and you take away his money, and you take away all that he has, he will curse you to your face. What a dirty lying devil. But I'm going to tell you something. That's a lot of pressure for the believer to be under. It's a part of the sanctification process that you and I go through on our journey through this life. Jesus is saying here, be thou faithful unto death. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we lose, no matter what happens to us, we mustn't turn loose of our faith in Jesus Christ. Because that faith in Jesus Christ counts for all of eternity. The things in this life are only temporal. Praise God. Jesus said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Praise be to God. That's the word that Jesus had to Smyrna. Ancient Smyrna is modern day Izmir. It was one of the most beautiful cities in all of Asia. Smyrna was the center of Caesar worship for Asia. To this church, Jesus said, I know your works. And he said, I know everything about you. And they were exhorted to be faithful unto death. And he would give them the crown of life. Obviously the people here had been saved. But God warns again and again and again that man is not to turn his back on God. And that takes us back even to the, the lesson that Job learned. In the midst of great loss, in the midst of great difficulty, in the midst of sickness and pain, in the midst of financial reverses, in the midst of betrayal, whatever the case might be, we are not to turn our back on God. The Lord stated in this scripture that if we will be faithful unto death, He will give us a crown of life. He said, He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Praise be to God. The implication here is that if he who does not overcome will be hurt by the second death, and that refers to eternal judgment. A person cannot earn his salvation, but he does have a responsibility and an obligation after he commits his heart and life to Jesus Christ. The overcomer is promised that he will not be hurt by the lake of fire. The one who overcomes is the one who just keeps on trusting Jesus every day through his journey or her journey on planet earth. Now listen to me as I go to the next section right before. Listen. 
Many people have the idea, you know, I need faith in the cross of Christ to get saved and then I'm saved now so I can go on to other things, but that's not biblical. We must continue, a believer must continue to exhibit faith in the cross of Christ and the blood of Jesus on a daily basis and moment by moment. As we live this life, we must constantly trust the Lord. Constantly have faith in what He did at the cross. Constantly be understanding the deepest nuances of the message of the cross as we live this life. And that's the call that God is giving to the church at Smyrna. Now we come to the church at Pergamos. The church at Pergamos, Revelation 2, 12-17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. There's that double-edged sword again. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. You know, it's a sad thing. But Satan has a seat in many churches today. You just meditate on that. You, you just think about that. Anytime that Christians get involved in judgmentalism and gossip and blasphemy, and there's so many Christians today that are living just like the world lives, Satan has a seat in the church. Jesus said, I know thy works. Again, he tells them, I know everything about you. Where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr. I did a study on Antipas, the faithful martyr. And um, if I can find it, I will bring it out again. Uh, and air it here on the broadcast. <clears throat> Antipas, my faithful martyr. Basically, the name of Antipas means he who is against everything. And that's a strange name, okay? And how many times have we heard preachers say, well, we don't want to be known for what we are against. We want to be known for what we're for. But listen, here's the thing with that. And I agree with that to a point. We don't want to be known only for what we are against but also for what we are for. But when you are a child of God and a Christ follower in the world today in which we live, you're going to be against almost everything that this crazy, perverted, sinful world dreams up and concocts. You're going to be against it. It's just normal for the child. Of, you don't march to the drumbeat of the world. You're not going the same direction. You're swimming against the world's current. So we are against some things. When I get into the study, coming up in some few months, when we get into the study on demonology and deliverance, we're going to find out that some of the things that Christians don't think too much of nowadays, like Halloween, for one, but there's other things too, some of the things that Christians don't think too much of nowadays, God condemned and forbid in the Bible, in the Word of God, and that's what we're supposed to be basing our life on. Antipas was against everything, according to the culture he lived in. In reality, he wasn't. We're not against love. We're not against compassion. We're not against good, clean entertainment and fun. But we are against those things that carry with it the spirit of the world that draws us away from commitment and devotion to Christ. Okay, let's go back to the Scripture. Even in those days wherein Antipas Antipas was my faithful martyr. Basically what happened there, he, they knew he was against the way the Romans worshipped their Caesars and so many other things and practices that were taking uh, place in that day. And he was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block 
before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, <clears throat> and to commit fornication. Now, if you know the story of Balaam and Balak, you can see what exactly what's being said here today. I cannot take the time in this series, or we'll never get through, to go into every nuance like this. But also, it says plainly, and they committed fornication. And so we understand that, you know, as Christians, we need to be faithful to our spouses. We need to love our spouses. We need to not cheat on our spouses. It's very, very important. There's many Christians who try to justify themselves having affairs with people other than their spouse, and they actually think that God's going to bless that kind of stuff. That's ridiculous. And Jesus said here to the church at Pergamos, I have that against you. And I would encourage you to read the story of Balaam and Balak also. <clears throat> so hast thou them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, or the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And to, to briefly put it into words, uh, the Nicolaitans, or the Nicolaitans, were those who tried to rule over the laity. And you can see right there a picture of the Catholic Church. There's this hierarchy system that rules over the everyday common Christian. And that's not of God. In fact, Jesus said, I hate it. Now, it's not only the Catholic Church, and I'm not speaking disparagingly of Catholics. I'm telling you that this is in the Protestant ranks as well. There isn't supposed to be any Protestant popes. You're not supposed to kiss their ring or their big toes. You're supposed to be in the Word of God for yourselves and develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm moving through this really, really fast, okay? But I praise God the Lord is bringing out some wonderful points. I don't know, I may not be able to do both of these churches in one session. Because if it gets too long, you lose people. You know what I'm saying? But we'll see what happens here. We're still in the church of Pergamos, and Jesus goes on to say, Repent. Repent of your adulteries. Repent of your immoralities. Repent of trying to lord it over people and be the big shot. Repent of, you know, we live in this selfie age where everyone wants to be the big person. Repent of that. It's right here in the scriptures. Or else I will come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The word of God fights against the pride of man. That's what the Holy Spirit just pointed out to me as I was reading that verse. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So as in each of these letters so far, there are three things that stand out. First, there's something good said about each church with the exception of one or two. Then, a fault or a problem is dealt with and then finally, he says, if they will do what he tells them to do to overcome, praise God, they will receive a certain blessing for overcoming. The good thing he had to say to this church was that he knew their works and where they dwelt. He knew where Satan's seat was in their church. Pergamos was the capital city of Asia and also the site of the famous uh, temple to oh, Asalupius the Greek God of healing. Let me say a, a brief thing about these Greek gods and, and, and the, the whole aspect of mythology, Greek mythology. Basically what they are, the Greek gods of, of Greek mythology basically are the Nephilim. They are evil spirits that fell. Many of them mated with human women upon the earth. You can read, I believe it's Genesis chapter 6, and you'll get a picture of what happened there. The area around the Pergamos temple was inhabited by thousands of harmless snakes. People came from all over the empire to seek healing in this pagan temple. The church at Pergamos was commended for holding fast to the name of Jesus and not denying their faith. 
but he also said he had a few things against him. There were those among the, uh, the church of Pergamos holding to the doctrine of Balaam, and this relates to one of the most, uh, how, how shall we say, uh, one of the most shameful incidents in the history of Israel. It's recorded in Numbers chapters 22 through 25, and also referred to in Numbers 31, 15, and 16. And it's a very tragic tale of Balaam as he counseled Balak to get Moabite women to seduce the men of Israel. And this resulted in disaster for God's people. And in Pergamos, there were some who were involved in sensuality and were in opposition to laws and regulations. God said He hates that. Repentance is called for. Let me liken that to the day and age in which we live in a society that cries out, we don't want any rules. We don't want any laws against immoral behavior. We don't want people telling us what to do. And God says, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself says to you today, Sir, Lady, He says repent. Sadly, it's not only secular culture and society that gets involved in that, it's the church also that gets involved in those type of thoughts and behaviors. People seem to have the idea today that they are free and they can do what they want but not according to God. Repentance is called for in this time frame as never before, just as it was in the time frame of Pergamos. To the obedient and the victorious, rewards will be given. They will be given the privilege of eating the hidden manna as they overcome. Glory to God, the hidden man of God, the, the, the meat of the Word of God, the bread of life, hallelujah. It gives us the strength in the overcoming as we continue to look at the cross, as we continue to stay under the blood, we literally find the strength that we need to overcome, hallelujah. They will also be given a white stone with a new name written in it. And this carries with it the idea of victory. We're going to be given victory. We're going to rule and reign with Jesus, hallelujah, for a thousand years. I want you to read Isaiah 62.2 and Isaiah 65 and 15. And that brings us in our study today to the church of Thyatira. The church of Thyatira. Revelation 2. 18 through 29. Let's read the book of Revelation together, shall we? And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Remember that we saw that in the first chapter of Revelation. I know thy works, charity, service, faith, and patience. And then he says, Thy works again. So it appears that the church at Thyatira was really, really into works. And certainly works are not bad. I'm going to give you a little lesson here, though, that he gave this church at Thyatira. Works will not save you. But when you're saved, you will do the godly works that he births in your spirit to do. But let me, let me say this. There's a movement afoot today called the social justice movement, the social justice gospel. And I'm not making fun of it, really I'm not. But I'm making fun of those who say that's all we need to focus on. Let's feed the poor, let's clothe the naked, let's do all of these things, let's give medicine and all of these things and they say, we don't need to preach the gospel because the people will see our love. That's wrong. That's absolutely false doctrine and false theology. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be doing both. We should be caring for social justice issues, but we should first and foremost 
be preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to this lost and dying generation in which we live. Okay, let's read all that again. I know thy works, and thy charity or love, and thy service, and thy faith. And thy... So in other words, with that faith being thrown in there, that word faith, it seems like they understood the situation that they couldn't work their way into their salvation. So they probably had a proper understanding of works in light of the New Testament. And thy patience, and then he says it again, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophet, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornications, and she repented not. The church must not tolerate false doctrine, and especially that which is based on seducing spirits. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and to them that and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. In other words, if you're committing spiritual adultery, if you're following after seducing spirits, if you're following after the Jezebel spirit, you're going to find yourself missing the rapture and going through the great tribulation. It's very, very likely that that is the case. Except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the rain in the hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But, I, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which you have already, that which ye have already, hold fast until I come. I like that. If you're not involved in this false doctrine, if you're not running after the greed gospel, if you're not running after today the name it, claim it gospel, if you're truly trying to seek the heart of God and serve Jesus no matter what, I'm not going to add another burden to you. I'm simply telling you to hold fast to what you have already. Hallelujah. Hold fast to the cross. Hold fast to the blood. Hold fast to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Hold fast to divine healing. Hold fast to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Hallelujah. Hold fast to it. You will make it if you hold fast to Christ and Him crucified. You might be poor. You might be sick in your body. You might have all kinds of things, that, all kinds of mistakes that you've made in your life, but if you'll repent, and if you will hold fast to Christ and Him crucified, you will make it through. You will make it to the time of your reward. Praise God. The Lord is speaking that from His heart to us through this section. Hallelujah. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. This church of Thyatira was actually located in a small uh, little outpost town. Uh, very little importance compared to the other six cities. A female oracle called the Sambathi presided over a lucrative fortune-telling business. Think of that. The preoccupation with the female religion may have been an influence on this church as it allowed the corrupt ministry of Jezebel to actually minister in the church. 
This is why I get disgusted when Christian leaders invite leaders of other faiths to come in and address their congregations. Can't you read the Bible? Don't you see the second chapter of the book of Revelation? They allowed this woman Jezebel. The Lord had a lot of good things to say about this church, but He also had a bad thing because they allowed that woman Jezebel, who claimed to be a prophetess, to seduce his servants and to commit fornication. I actually knew someone in my life that talked about how they were a Christian. They were even an ordained minister. And they also did stuff like reading tarot cards and consulting the Celestine prophecies and all this weird fortune telling type stuff. And they were actually trafficking in familiar spirits and the spirit of Jezebel. This individual told me that every church they ever walked into, they were kicked out of. Thank God the churches had enough discernment. They had more discernment than this Thyatira bunch that allowed Jezebel to preach and teach. But what I'm telling you is it's out there today. And just everybody who claims to have the message of Jesus doesn't have the message of Jesus. And we need to operate in the gifts of discerning of spirits as the body of Christ. And leaders need to be teaching on those things so that believers will go in the proper directions. This woman Jezebel, who claimed to be a prophetess, convinced them to, you know, she seduced them to commit fornication. And then the Lord makes a horrifying statement. He said, I will kill her children with death. The matter of major concern was the allowing of this woman Jezebel to influence the church. Either there was a woman in the church named Jezebel, and that could well be, uh, or the Lord likened this woman. There was a woman, uh, either named Jezebel, or He likened her to the evil queen Jezebel that lived in the time of Elijah. It doesn't really make any difference. This woman was operating in this church. She was allowed to teach false doctrine. She declared herself to be a prophetess. She was telling the people it was alright for them to commit fornication and to eat things offered unto idols. And the Lord said He would judge her. This church was allowing these ungodly activities. God, may we repent if we have allowed anything in our churches that grieves Thy Holy Spirit. It's sad. Because we have such power available to us in Christ. We have such hope to share with the world. We don't need to look to other teachings. We must be a moral people. The assurance that Jesus gave to this church was that the overcomer would have authority over the nations as promised to Christ. You can read Psalm 2, Revelation 19.15. The man-child... 12.5, Tribulation Saints, 20 verse 4 and 6 of Revelation, and all saints of all ages, Psalm 149, 6-9, Revelation 20 verses 4-6, through 6, and Daniel chapter 7 and verse 18. Now I don't want to run over too long, but I think I'm going to go ahead into Revelation chapter 3 and uh, deal with the church at Sardis. Let me uh, repeat again that I can't go into every little nuance of this, I encourage you to pick up some good commentaries on the book of Revelation. But isn't the Lord bringing out some great stuff as we read the book of Revelation and outline it and bring out nuggets? Isn't the Lord just bringing out some great truth for us here today? Praise God. So let's go on into Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write... To the pastor of the church. That's that word angel, angelos, messengers. To the messengers of the church, to the pastors of the church in Sardis, write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Again, we remind you, there aren't seven Holy Spirits. This is he that hath the 
fullness of the Holy Spirit in his life. The Holy Spirit of God that is all-powerful. We only have the Holy Spirit as believers. We only have the Holy Spirit in measure. Jesus has the Holy Spirit unlimited. Praise be to God. I mean, there's nothing that our God can't do. Uh, has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works. There it is again. Jesus knows everything about every one of us. That thou has a name, that thou livest, and art dead. How sad it is to see churches today that have a name that they live, but they are dead. How sad it is to see denominations today that were once in the throes of revival, but now they're dead and dried up and boring, and they are without spiritual life. My Lord, how sad. Oh God, call us to revival. Oh God, call us to repentance today. In Jesus' name. Be watchful. And strengthen the things which remains that are ready to die. If you don't get under the river of the Holy Ghost, if you don't get under the flow of the blood of Jesus, if you don't repent of your backsliding, whatever is left of your church or your denomination or your fellowship, it will die as well. Because God wants us all to be in revival. We should be in personal revival as Christians every single day. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Whew, that's good stuff. Praise God for the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, thou, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white. Praise be to Jesus. White is a symbol for righteousness. They're going to walk with me. Those who haven't defiled their garments. Those who haven't uh, become dead spiritually. Those who still have the life of the Holy Spirit will walk with me in righteousness. Praise God. For they are worthy. Listen, if you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and your sins have been forgiven and you stay in constant fellowship with Christ, you are worthy to walk in the righteousness of God according to the Word of God. Hallelujah. Don't be downcast and say what a worm you are and how unworthy you are. If you're living right, if you're letting God have His way in your life, man, and if you're constantly going to Him when you do make a mistake and you're asking for forgiveness, He says you are worthy. Hallelujah. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So wow, that's a powerful... I, the Lord just keeps bringing out this good stuff that's feeding my spirit just under the anointing and I hope it's feeding yours as well. The city of Sardis was located on the slope of Mount Tumolus and it was impregnable. It was a, it was a fortress. Its history of over 2,000 years is a very interesting history. It was the wealthy seat of Lydian government ruled by the monarch Croesus and the home of a Greek philosopher named Thales. This city was very easy to defend, but yet it fell to invading armies twice because the people became overconfident and the defenders left the walls unguarded. These tragedies are undoubtedly recalled in verse 3 that we just read to you. And let me say this before I move right along. I'm going to try to get this whole chapter in. We are the victorious, overcoming, triumphant church 
Our King Jesus has defeated every force of hell. Our King Jesus is all of these things, but we must not become overconfident and grow lethargic because the way that God chooses to enforce kingdom at this dispensation in the earth, this time that we are living in, He enforces it through our prayer and fasting and our proclaiming of the truth of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to read that later. I believe it's Revelation chapter 12. So we must keep, not. it's, it's not so much a defensive posture, we are to rush the gates of hell in an offensive mode to take the gospel to the world. And if we stop doing that and become overconfident, we can find sin creeping into each of our lives. To this church at Sardis, Jesus said, I know your works. You have a name that thou livest and art dead. He told them to be watchful. He told them to strengthen things which remain that are ready to die. A church, any church, regardless of the name on the door, needs to remain alive by the power of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. And we must not engage in the things of this world. The promise to the overcomer for this church is that we will be clothed in white raiment, garments of righteousness, and our name will be in the book of life and confessed before God and before the angels perpetually. Now let's look quickly at the church at Philadelphia. We'll read this together. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. Just let the words of the Bible sink into your spirit right there. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And I can't help but bring this out right now. You might think you are the weakest Christian on the face of the earth, but if you will hold fast to Jesus, and hold fast to His word, and hold fast to the cross, you're going to make it! Hallelujah! Hold fast to Jesus. Hold fast to Jesus. Thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews and are not but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Hallelujah. We Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Christians... And this is being said here in a spiritual sense only. Christians actually make the people of the world jealous when we properly live for Jesus in front of them. Hallelujah. And they will come to us and say, what is the reason for the hope and the joy and the peace that you have in your life? And that's your opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We got to move right along. I am getting behind, but I'm so I've preached myself happy. I've taught myself happy here tonight. What a great book, the book of Revelation. What a powerful book, the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. Shika la ba Now let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. It gets it gets better. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And I believe that's a veiled promise to the rapture for the overcomer. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of God. And I want to make this mention here uh, before we go further. Uh, what does a pillar do? A pillar doesn't, you know, the pillars in the ancient temple of God did not go all the way up to the top beam on the roof structure. The pillar went up. The, the, the pillars on the temple were ornamentation, just as you and I. We don't hold up the great kingdom of God. We are not some big thing that he has to have or everything falls apart, but we are ornamentation. He said he will make his jewels out of us. Hallelujah. 
And God's going to say, look, see what my glory did in their lives. Shikalabaha. What a beautiful God we serve. Hallelujah. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. The city of Philadelphia <clears throat> was located in an area that had a lot of volcanic activity. And the city was destroyed several times by earthquakes. But in spite of the calamities, this city survived. And that tells us something. Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love. It, it, it's kind of like a picture in the Spirit to us that if we will continue in the love of God, and if we will love each other with the love of Christ, that no, no matter the calamities that we face in our lives... We are really indestructible because we are in Jesus. We are in Christ. Hallelujah to God. That's a, that's a, a typology here of the name of this, the church of Philadelphia. The promise in verse 12 that they would dwell in a city from which they need not flee would have been comforting to them. One day we will dwell in a place where we will no longer be sick and we will no longer be poor and we will no longer have mental issues and nervous issues and we won't have anything of this former sin nature whatsoever. We will dwell with Jesus forever. It's been noted in modern history that a solitary pillar remains standing in Philadelphia to illustrate verse 12. Isn't that something? This church, together with the other churches addressed in chapters 2 and 3, was an actual church that existed in John's day. And they were under persecution by the Roman government. They had suffered tribulation. Not the great tribulation. Remember, we talked about that. The Lord had some great things to say about this church. There are many churches today that are not really as strong in the Word of God as they ought to be. It is possible to be strong. The problem with the church in Philadelphia was quite minor in insignificance because they were greatly praised and commended by the Lord. Child of God, listen to me, the overcomer will be a pillar. And that really refers to have authority and ornamentation before God. Galatians 2.9, 1 Timothy 3.15, Revelation 10.1. And then the Lord said, I will write upon him my new name in verse 12. When this word for write is used, it is literal and it's not a spiritual engraving in the heart. So we're talking about he's literally going to write a new name on us. And you can, you can see Revelation 13, 16, Revelation 14, 1, and verse 11, Revelation 19, 20, Revelation 20, verse 4, 22, verse 4, Isaiah 62, 2, and 65, 15. And that brings us we're just a little bit over time, so hang with me, please. Thank you so much for your patience. It brings us to the church at Laodicea. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. I preached a message on that one time from this right here. The faithful and the true witness, Jesus Christ. The beginning of the creation of God. I know thy, thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now just let the words of God speak to us. I don't have time to do a lot of teaching on each of these, but the very words of the Scripture will speak to us. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Doesn't that sound like so many in the modern church today. Know you not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? 
I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. In other words, we get our real wealth only from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And our relationship must be tried by fire, oftentimes throughout our lives. That thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Church, get some discernment in the day and age in which you're living. We need to be discerning of the things that we have spoken of even as we have addressed these churches here tonight. Then the Lord goes on to say, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Praise be to God. To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And I, I guess that's one of the greatest things that we could say as we close uh, this session in this series on the book of Revelation. Again, because of the time element, there's many, many things that we could look at in each of these churches. There's much history we could delve into. We're giving you just a few nuggets. But I want to encourage you, if you have an ear to hear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And I want to encourage you also to get some deeper material on Revelation and study it out and grow in your knowledge of this great book. But while we're together here tonight, listen to the Holy Spirit because He's saying some awesome things and we need every bit of it. This church was in a city famous for its commerce and its banking. Laodicea was a tourist center with hot mineral baths. The sheep on the hillsides were glossy, raven-colored beauties virtually unmatched anywhere in the world. They were manufactured an ophthalmic ointment. Uh, that's, they made this ointment there in Laodicea that was widely sought after. It made them rich. In view of their assets and their great wealth, it's interesting and even enlightening to hear our Lord's admonition to buy of Him gold tried in the fire. In other words, I would trade all my earthly wealth. I would trade any earthly fortune. I would trade everything that I possess for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that can only come by faith in what He did at the cross and by being washed in His blood. The key expression that Jesus made to this church, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so because you're not cold or hot, you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. This is a very serious warning. And a, uh, it's a problem that exists with so many Christians and so many churches in our world today. God doesn't want people to be half in and half out. He wants us to be all in, totally committed, sold out the whole route to Jesus Christ. Amen? The words of Jesus are very strong and stern. Real commitment to the things of God is the exhortation here to this church. Being on fire for God means studying His Word, worshiping the Lord, developing a prayer life, fasting, tithing, giving offerings over and above the tithe, going to church, and also it just means trusting in what Jesus did for each of us at the cross where He died. And He was buried. And He rose again on the third day. And if we'll keep our faith anchored in Him, all of these other things will be performed through our lives. And we will grow and we will burn on fire for Jesus Christ in a world that's asleep today. Hallelujah. Set aside time each day for prayer and for devotion. Develop a dedicated commitment to Christ. 
to avoid the plague of the Laodicean church. Serving Jesus Christ as I close, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for, for staying so long. Serving Jesus Christ demands everything you have. He wants your heart, your life, your soul, your spirit, your mind, your thoughts, your dreams. He wants your past and your present and your future. He wants your body. He wants everything about you in this message of the church of the Laodiceans. The overcomer is promised a throne. Praise be to God. You and I who are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ will one day rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And the fellowship will be sweet and wonderful and beautiful. Father, thank you today <clears throat> that you've helped us get through these two chapters in the book of Revelation. Thank you for helping us to briefly outline these seven churches. Father, Father, I praise your name. God, I lift you up. Heavenly Father, stir the fires of revival in each of us. Father God, we, we take your promises, we believe them, we receive them, and we act upon them now in Jesus' name. And Father, for all the glory and the praise to go to Jesus. Amen. And amen. God bless you. Thank you. It's been a little longer than the last one was. And um, again, let me just say there's so much in this that we just can't do a whole lot but just touch on it. But again, I encourage you, my, my friends, my partners, my radio audience, I encourage you to get a hold of some excellent materials on Revelation by teachers who are trustworthy and who are discerning and continue your study. Next time, we will pick up with Revelation chapter 4. This is Brother Paxton saying, Go with God, and He will go with you. Bless you now.